and welcome into the John Cast podcast. Before we get started on today's show, I want to give a shout out to my sponsors of this podcast, including Ian's Pizza in Madison. They've got three locations in Madison, also in Seattle, Denver, and Milwaukee, if you happen to be out of uh, state, unless you're in Milwaukee, of course. Um, so brought to you by Ian's Pizza. Also brought to you by me and Julio in Fitchburg. They've got their month of April specials that you should go check out uh, there, including the uh, blackened shrimp salad for 15 bucks and the chipotle chicken wrap as well for 15 bucks and Tuesdays and Thursdays, $4 classic margaritas all day long. Also check out johncastpodcast.com for my collection of t-shirts when I partnered with Scani in town. But let's uh, get to today's episode of the Johncast podcast. What happens when a radio broadcaster gets let go from his sports talk job? Well, he tries to figure out what he wants to do next for a career, and in the meantime, joins the 4 million other podcasts on the internet, and the John Cast is born. Join me each week as I talk to guests I find interesting or entertaining from the world of sports, play-by-play broadcasting, or whatever else sounds fascinating to me at the moment. The John Cast is what I'm doing until I figure out what I'm doing. Subscribe, download, and I hope you learn something along the way. And welcome into the Johncast podcast. This is episode number 48, and I'm joined by Andy Katz. Today's guest is a graduate of the University of Wisconsin. In 1990, he's worked for ESPN, currently works for the NCAA and the Big Ten Network, covering college basketball, and his name is Andy Katz. Andy, how are you today? Uh, good, John. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for uh, joining the podcast here for a few minutes. So what's your offseason like now that the, the tournament wrapped up in early April? Well, a- as we saw on Wednesday, the offseason can provide <laughs> plenty of zingers and twists and turns uh, with the announcement that Jay Wright uh, had retired. So just when you think things are calm, uh, you go into uh, deadline mode uh, to where, uh, you know, suddenly you've got to just start cranking, calling, reacting, uh, producing content for various outlets. So uh, uh, that was certainly what what kept me busy on Wednesday. I, I do the NBA draft for NBA TV. I used to do it for ESPN. Uh, but that's not as time-consuming as it used to be uh, because ESPN had or has the NBA draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that obviously made it much more um, of, of, of a time-consuming uh, aspect is, you know, you're reporting out, but no, I mean, I, I always feel like I've got stuff going on, um, whether it's digital for big 10 network or the NCAA, there's always something. I just don't travel as much. That's the main thing. Yeah. There's never really an off season anymore. Is there? No, but I mean, my job changed. I mean, at ESPN, um, earlier, you know, we definitely provided a ton of off season content. Um, right. you know, now we're in a just different era where, there, uh, whether there's a demand or not, you know, everyone shifts to the next thing. And now we're sort of in the throes of the NBA playoffs. So um, you adjust, you adapt, and you, you do what is required and, and, and uh, you know, fill the void of content when needed. Yeah. Um, so you graduated, like I mentioned, from Wisconsin in 1990. Yeah, you don't uh, have to bring up the date. For sure. <laughs> I know. I debated whether I should bring up the year or not, but I, but I am. Um has your it doesn't career feel that long ago, but obviously it is. <laughs> it doesn't, does it? 1990. I remember 1990, the early 90s. Like, yeah, it go time goes by so fast, doesn't it? Um, what did you envision your career to look like? And did it has it mirrored at all what you thought it might be? 
Wow. Um, no, well, to be honest, no. Um, you know, initially, and I've told this story before, uh, my plans were to stay in Wisconsin. Uh, I Senior year at the time, there was a deal with the Milwaukee Journal where um, the former sports editor of the Daily Cardinal had sort of a path to being um, sort of a glorified internship, but we got paid uh, with the journal. And my predecessors, you would end up being the backup uh, to the beat writer. And the journal, still to this day, I mean, it's Jeff Patrikas now, uh, has a writer who lives in Madison uh, and would cover the main sports, which were viewed as football, men's basketball. And then the you then my role that year was to be the secondary person, and um, I covered. So I helped out uh, Dennis Chapman, who was the beat writer at the time, with football and basketball. And then I had my own beats, so to speak. And one of them was men's hockey. Uh, or actually, there wasn't women's hockey at the time. And they won the national championship in 1990 uh, in Detroit. And uh, I covered it. Got a lot of front page stories out of that. And I was told at the time that if the Milwaukee Admirals, still an AHL team, AHL, uh, there was a lot of chatter that they were going to be an expansion team. And it, had that happened, I was going to be the beat writer. So I was going to have a full-time job at the Milwaukee Journal covering the Milwaukee Admirals uh, in their first year in the NHL. Well, the Blackhawks, I, I'm not up to speed in the politics of it now, but then uh, they blocked it. And uh, because obviously it's in their sphere of influence uh, as an NHL team with nearby Milwaukee to Chicago. And so it never happened. And it still hasn't happened. Um, and so there was not a position for me at the Milwaukee Journal. Now, could I have stayed in a three-fourths kind of way? I mean, that's sort of the way I described it, where you weren't full-time. You were getting about 30 hours, yeah. um, no benefits. Could I have rid that, written that out in Milwaukee? Potentially. Uh, and I wasn't sure, and I was going to – I was considering it. But – I ended up getting the job in Albuquerque uh, that summer uh, as a full-time job beat writer. And then that sort of took my career in a different path. Uh, but uh, there was definitely a chance that, uh, I mean, I thought a strong chance that I was going to stay in Wisconsin and potentially be a hockey writer. Wow. And who knows where that would have where, where led me. Yeah, that's interesting to really think about how the Andy Cats that everybody knows – you know, public your public persona would be the hockey guy instead of the basketball guy. That's so strange to think about. <laughs> well, well, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, basketball was my passion my whole life. Yeah. Um, and you know, I played it. I wasn't good enough to play at a collegiate level. Um, but uh, growing up in Boston, I would say my fandom, uh. believe it or not in my youth was Red Sox one. And I would argue Bruins too. Um, we were huge Bruins fans, uh, went through a ton of games when I was a kid. And so I definitely had a passion and, you know, you grow up in the Boston area, hockey's a big deal. For sure. um, so, you know, I understood the game. 
I didn't play it. Uh, that was the difference with basketball and hockey. But I definitely had a passion for it. Whether what would I have stuck down that road uh, as a hockey writer? I don't know. But yeah. um, uh, it certainly, you know, would have been an interesting twist to the career had that occurred. So yeah. I, I'm trying to remember the um, uh, what's their name? The, the Wurtz, I, I, um, the family that owned the Blackhawks. Okay. Uh, you know, indirectly, you could argue, changed my fate. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. So who were your favorite athletes growing up being a Red Sox and a Bruins fan? Well, it's funny you say that because, uh, you know, it's un with the unfortunate passing of Jerry Remy, I'm just seeing this week all the, the Red Sox from my childhood have come back to Fenway Park. Uh, I mean, the outfield, you know, of, of Rice, Lynn, mm -hmm. and Evans. Uh, and I obviously, I, I remember Yastrzemski. Uh, but to me, Jim Rice was my favorite player growing up. Uh, and I loved Dwight Evans. Um, you know, I played baseball as well. And uh, I played a fair amount of right field. And I always just loved Dewey. And, 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 and I would say the outfielders were definitely my favorite Red Sox. Um, okay. And, and, you know, it's funny. Another Wisconsin connection. Um, we used to play wiffle ball in my backyard. And the teams that we would, that we would remember and say who was up to bat were for whatever reason, were always the Red Sox and the Brewers, you know, because those early Brewer teams in the era, yeah. early 80s um, with Gorman Thomas, Robin Yount, uh, you know, Cecil Cooper, Ben Ogilvy, um, uh, you know, that group of players, mm -hmm. um, you know, and obviously they won a um, uh, they did win the World Series in 82, I think, right? Went um, to the World Series. Went yeah. to the World Series, yes. Yep. Uh, lost to the Cardinals, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Um, yeah, so that 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 era of, you know, Brewer baseball, I remember. And then when I was in school, um, anytime the Red Sox came to County Stadium, County Stadium, um, you know, we would go over to Milwaukee and go to those Red Sox-Brewers games. Because hmm. I had a bunch cool. of friends who came from the Boston area, from my same actual town in Newton, to Wisconsin as well. Yeah. Man, that's pretty interesting. So um, what piece of advice? So so then you got into, obviously, somewhere along the line, you wanted to be a reporter, I'm, I'm assuming. When did when did that happen? Oh, that was from day one in Madison. Okay. Yeah, that's day one. Uh, literally, first day, I walked into the Daily Cardinal office. So um, okay. th that was that that was day one, worked at the... Daily, uh, Daily Cardinal became the sports editor as a sophomore while also working at the State Journal, taking agate for those that are old enough to remember what agate is. It's high school scores and college scores, oh. inputting them. And um, uh, so worked at the State Journal, worked uh, Marsh Shapiro, the late, great Marsh Shapiro, on the nitty gritty, former local media person in the Madison area. Um, I got connected to him through a friend and he was awesome to me and I worked for WIBA. Uh, I'd go to Brewers, Packers, Bucks, um, gathering sound in locker rooms. Uh, and then ultimately that led to the Milwaukee Journal, um, as I said, as a senior. And uh, so, yeah, that was my path. And we got paid back then, uh, even at the Daily Cardinal per story, certainly as a sports editor, you got a salary. So, I didn't, that was, you know, other people had other jobs at various, you know, food places or the union or something like that. 
my job was working in journalism from day one. Day one. That's and interesting. In fact, the one thing I always say is that I think in my time there in Madison, I went to literally almost every football game except for the ones we would have to fly to. So they once played at Vegas. They once played at Hawaii. And I think they played at Wyoming. Those were the only ones I never went to. Uh, we went everywhere else. Because remember back then there was no Maryland Rutgers or even Penn State sure. in, or Nebraska in the Big Ten. So everything was drivable. Um, you know, Ohio State was probably the furthest, but we still drove there. And um, so went to every game. But it wasn't. So I never went as a fan. Hmm. Uh, and so I had a different college experience. Now, the football team wasn't any good then. But um, that's why, to me, the 2015 Final Four yeah. um, is one that, ring, that, that, that I always feel like crosses lines for me in a good way. Because when Wisconsin beat Kentucky in Indy, and if you remember, Kentucky was 39-0, trying to go 40-0. and um, And they had the fifth quarter at Lucas Oil. And the scene for Wisconsin fans after that was, you know, I mean, that was the best. And that was like one of the few times where I truly felt like a, a Badger fan yeah. and was, you know, lapping it up. Obviously I had to be impartial covering it, but at the same time, I thoroughly enjoyed the fandom aspect of that because I, I just, I mean, I chose this, but I didn't have that, you know, I had all these friends who were going to the games and, you know, tailgating and all that kind of stuff. And I was always in the press box. And so um, I just had a different experience um, as a college student in terms of a college fan. Yeah, that's interesting. So a couple of things. I also, I worked for WIBA. That's where I got my start in Madison um, in 2004. So a little bit of different timeline for you. So we have something in common that I didn't know about. That's pretty cool. Um, and that that 2015 Badgers team, the the scene afterwards at the team hotel. Yes. I, I didn't. I, I was I wasn't at the team hotel. I went to the game. I was covering uh, the game for WIBA and WTSO in Madison. And that scene afterwards is one of the most memorable like Badger fan scenes that is going to be in, in the history of of Wisconsin athletics. Yeah, I mean they were like the Beatles coming back. I mean it was a <laughs> yeah. fire hazard. Sam Decker and Frank Kaminsky at the top. Um, you know, it's crazy. In 14 and 15, I firmly believe they were the best team at each one of those Final Fours. Um, and there's a Kentucky thread in both. I mean, if you remember in 14, uh, had Harrison not hit that shot, Wisconsin wins that game, and they were better than UConn uh, in 2014. I think they win that. Now, does everyone come back in 15 if they win in 14? Maybe not. Uh, but, you know, up until the last couple of minutes, they were the better team than Duke. Uh, but, you know, Grayson Allen, now a buck, uh, you know, played really well in, that, in those final couple minutes. Grayson Allen was so good in the in that second half. And I'll just say this, and you don't have to say anything because I know you cover NCAA basketball and everything. The, the fall discrepancy in the second half is still a point of frustration for many Badger fans years later. Oh, you think Bo Ryan thinks about that? <laughs> I think he might think about that just a couple of times. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. So, so day one, you wanted to be uh, a reporter and a journalist. So what piece of advice would you give to an up and coming uh, journalist who's getting into the business now in 2022? Well, it's completely different. Uh, yeah. Well, let me rephrase it. The core principles are not different, but mm -hmm. the paths are different. I mean, I went more of a traditional path. 
newspapers, little radio, uh, ultimately to the digital side and television. Yeah. Um, and so that is that that's just not the current path that people can be on right now. Uh, I mean, I guess it can, but it's much more difficult. Newspapers are not the same. Um, although I think what has changed for the better is that there are actually more outlets digitally in this form, um, whether they are team, school, conference, league specific, uh, everyone wants some sort of digital social presence and you need content providers, for lack of a better term. So that has changed. Uh, I think that all lines are blurred. Uh, even when I was at ESPN, they'll never admit it. But, you know, the way uh, – and, and I worked for Outside the Lines. I was a host for three years behind Bob Lee, and I love that show. The way we handled the NFL was different than the way the remote handled the NFL, and they clashed. And that happens time and time again at ESPN. And, and I look, I work with the NCAA, with the Big Ten Network, and there are certain things you can't do because you are in partnership. Um, so you have to check some of that at the door. Now, if you want to be completely independent, that's fine. And I admire that and go for it. Um, probably not going to be as lucrative, uh, you know, financially. And so you have to deal with that. And that's fine if you want to, you know, go down that path. Um, you know, but uh, that is not, uh, it's just probably not as, um, uh, it's just not going to be as easy yeah. uh, financially. Um, I'm not saying you check your ethics at the door by any stretch. Uh, I've never been told what I can't do. I just sort of know the guardrails. Um, but at the core of what, getting back to my point, you still need to ask questions, how to ask questions, to get information, um, don't oh, don't ask closed questions. Everything has to be open ended. Uh, I'm a I'm a huge believer in who, what, why, when, how, not did, are, um, you know, anything that answer with a yes no. Don't double barrel things. Don't give someone a platter of questions. You know, the worst things to watch are news conferences. <laughs> because reporters feel like they, especially uh, presidential ones, um, I'd rather hear you hear, I'd rather you ask a really good question and force a follow-up than to stand there in front of a head of state and say, you know, Mr. President, uh, here are my three, four questions. Because what you've done is you've told your subject, hmm, okay, I'm going to choose. Because that subject's under no obligation to answer every one of your questions. You just gave he or she three or four choices. Of course, mm -hmm. you're going to choose the one they, that is the least <laughs> controversial. Um, yeah. So how you do that um, is incredibly important. I also am a big believer in uh, time and place. Um, I understand if literally the only access you have to someone is in that setting but uh, I'm not a believer in trying to get sensitive material in that form. I would yeah. rather do something where I'm going one-on-one -on -one with you uh, 
and can get you in a much more, I wouldn't say vulnerable, but, but, you know, just a comfortable position to answer the questions that I need answered. Uh, Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, though, Andy, because sometimes you'll see that at a press conference. Someone's like, hey, I'm doing a story on this. Can you talk about that? And it just seems so out of place to the setting. Yeah. Also, I know you're just setting that up. Never say talk about. I I just I I have this down. How do you feel about talk about questions? <laughs> I just wrote that down. Uh, cuz I'd love to see sort of like um in the old Willy Wonka where where he hits the button and the kid slides down into the chocolate river. Uh you know, it could be <laughs> one of those buttons in a new in a press conference room and suddenly the reporter goes down the vat. Um yeah, I oh god, I, I hate it because you've just sort of just I mean, it's lazy. It's lazy. Ask a question. Um, <laughs> you know, and also don't don't also put all your information in the question so you've given the person nothing to say. Yeah. Because you've said it all. That's one thing I've learned, too, is that that what you just said there. Sometimes I get a little wordy and I'll be like, so and I'll, I'll set it up and I'll be like, well, I just gave you exactly what I want you to say, number one, and right. everything that you were going to say, number two. I took it all. Right. And look, I've been in every situation. I've had producers, you know, in my ear, all that kind of stuff where you got, you know, I mean, because look, people have no idea how hard silent reporting reporting is because your your time is incredibly limited. I mean, literally, especially uh, in basketball versus football, um, because and especially radio, which I, I just did Westwood One Radio for the Final Four, because you cannot miss the play-by-play. Certainly in radio, you cannot. Um, in television, you can, but you got to get everything done by the time the ball gets to half court. Because once that plays in motion, you got to pass that back to the play-by-play person. And a lot of times, before a tip, you've got 20 seconds. So that better be a concise 20 seconds and um uh you know you're aware that you're potentially holding up the game you know because the official is watching you there's a light on you and they want to make sure that um you know that's turned off before they they throw up the tip yeah um are there any journalists or reporters that you look up to or have looked up to throughout your career Um, I know, I mean, there are plenty. I, I, I just, I don't know if I could name one or two. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to think about that. I mean, uh, cause I don't want to omit, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll just say this. Yeah. I grew up reading the Boston Globe and in its heyday, the Boston Globe had the best notes reporters covering sports from Bob Ryan Dan Shaughnessy, um, uh, Will McDonough, um, Peter Gammons. um, You know, these were legendary writers who knew their – Kevin Paul DuPont was covering the Bruins. Um, I mean, these these writers knew the sport. They knew the teams. uh, And you got just great in-depth – I mean, I used to literally – the Sunday paper with the notes column – I'd spend all Sunday morning, and here I'm a kid, I'd read all that, all of it. Yeah. 
that's that's a pretty big list right there. Are those names? Those are like Hall of Fame type of yeah. names. You just you just bounced off there, all in one area too. That's crazy. Um. All right. So I did want to ask you a couple questions about the Badgers because obviously Wisconsin had a, a great season this year. Lost to Iowa State uh, in the second round of the NCAA tournament, and they have an a, an NBA player. Well, they had an NBA player. He's gone. So my question is, what will life be like after Johnny Davis is now? gone from the Badgers. What will life after Johnny Davis be like? Uh, we don't know. <laughs> hey, by the <laughs> yeah. way, that's also a good answer. Um, you know, to say you don't know something. Uh, I think too often sometimes people try to tell, you know, they, they don't know what they don't know. And so the answer is, I don't know. Um, okay. You know, Chucky Hepburn and Tyler Wall, according to Greg Gard, are going to be sort of their one-two punch. Um, from my seat, I think they need another player who's going to be a creator on his own. Uh, I think Tyler Wall needs the basketball to come to him a little bit more. And Chucky Hepburn, you know, maybe he can be that dynamic point guard. He had moments where he had a big shot uh, and he didn't need to be as much of a scorer. Maybe he becomes that. We shall see. Um you know, I don't think Jordan Davis, uh, maybe it's not fair to compare twins, but Chris Murray was not as much of a drop-off from Keegan Murray at Iowa mm. as at this moment in time, Jordan is to Johnny. Now, we'll see. Jordan coming back, spending a whole year, more of a focus. Maybe he can. I'm not expecting him to be, but maybe he can. Uh, but also, we've learned over the years, it's foolish to doubt this program. Right. Uh, they find a way. They always do um, to uh, uh, to stay in the to to stay in the you know the top echelon of the Big Ten. Um, you know, speaking of the the Davis brothers, I, I remember locally here in the area they're doing something with with Mountain Dew because I saw the billboard on the Beltline, um, and I've seen it on my Facebook ads, and it made me just think of this right as we're talking about the Davis brothers uh, and NIL. So how will NIL change college athletics? Because we're kind of, I mean, that's obviously creeping into the college uh, world. So how do you see NIL? Well, it already has. Um, mm -hmm. And it is the reason Oscar Sheway at Kentucky, the National Player of the Year, is back. Um, it is going to keep more players in college than out, uh, I believe. And, um, you know, it's the new world that we're in. So, uh, Ultimately, I think that it'll be a positive. Um, you know, I think the negative is actually the strain it's going to put on the coaches. I think, you know, Jay Wright's decision, uh, I'm not in his head, but um, I just wouldn't be surprised if some of it had to do with just all the things that coaches have to deal with now um, that they didn't before. And NIL is one of those. I mean, transfer portal is another stuff that they now have to deal with on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, all right, Andy, as we wrap things up here, I, I wanted to ask you a couple of fun, different questions, because I was looking through your Instagram account and I see you ran a half marathon on, on one of the pictures. I'm not actually sure what the date was that, uh, what that was from. Last but you're, okay. So you're a runner, obviously. Yeah. You're doing 25 half marathons. So can you now give me- 25 in the last- 10 years in the last 10 years. All right. So it's been uh, a while. Actually the last 
a little less than that. It'd be last, um, we're in 22, uh, last six years, I think. Well, that's, I mean, that's like yeah. four half marathons a year. Yes. That's crazy. That's yeah. a lot. Um, so give me your best tip for someone like me who isn't in running shape. But the thing that gets me, Andy, was once I start running, I just get insanely bored. What what advice would you give to me? <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big um, AirPod listener. I mean, I've done three fulls, oh. 25 halves. Um, you know, it's interesting, and everyone has different motivations. Um, I When I turned 40, uh, my cholesterol was a little elevated. And because I wasn't a runner, like – prior to that. I mean, like a runner runner. And, um, I, you know, it was just a challenge for my doctor at the time said, Hey, don't want to put you on any medication. It's up to you. And so I just sort of said, you know, I just sort of changed my thought process. And, uh, to me, so much of it is mental. Um, like this winter was by far my worst running training winter by far. I mean, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life physically was training for Boston and Paris because they're both April marathons mm -hmm. during the season. I bet. Um, to try to get, you know, your 20s in in March was almost impossible. And so that was very stressful. Um, you know, when I did New York, that's a November one, easier to do over the summer for me. Uh, and just the weather's better, obviously. But um, – you know, this one, I had um, had this weird thing where I had a blood vessel pop in my nose, so I couldn't work out for 10 days. Um, uh, I was traveling a ton. The weather sucked in the Midwest and the Northeast. Mm -hmm. And then last week, I actually had a stomach bug leading up to this race. So, um, you know, it was a mental thing where I was like, you know what, this is not going to be my best time. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to finish it and be happy with myself. And I was. So a lot of it's up here. It's all up. It's all up there. Okay. That makes sense. Final question for you, uh, Andy Katz. Uh, what do you remember most from your meetings with President Obama when you did your Barack Atology? What, 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 what kind of stands out the most to you about those? Because those are very memorable segments, I think, for fans. Yeah. I mean, to me, it was the, uh, the personal um, – Regardless of your politics, he does an amazing job of disarming people in the room, mm. whether you're the audio person, cameraman, or me. Uh, he's incredibly engaging. And uh, I would just say the warmth of just his overall personality. I mean, that to me is what I remember the most. And, uh, um, you know, obviously going there eight straight years and other times when we did other projects and pieces. Um, you know, those were obviously some of the best memories of my career. That's cool. Did you, do you have, did you take any, like, I feel like I'm asking, did you steal anything, but is there anything you have physically, like any sort of memorabilia for meeting with the president? Do you have one of those bracketology, the brackets? I like do not, I do not, I do not, I do not own them. Uh, ESPN, you know, paid and produced, produced them. So I don't own any of them. I mean, I okay. have plenty of good pictures. So I've cool. got very cool. Uh, photos that would only have been taken uh, because that's the other thing people don't realize, at least, I don't know if this has changed, but um, you couldn't take cell phone photos. So um, uh, every photo I have is from Pete Souza 
you know, the official White House photographer, who, by the way, lives in Madison. Um, oh. And uh, um, yeah, so everything I have is from him. So I'm honored that my photos come from the White House photographer. Yeah, that's awesome. And maybe I should get Pete on. Talk about his time. That's a, That sounds like a fun interview to me. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. He's awesome. Well, this was a really fun interview. I, I really enjoyed getting to learn about your career, kind of how you got to where you are, and obviously your opinions on... And I love the answer with Johnny Davis. You just don't know. Because that's one thing I've started to do in my life personally, because I have a nine-year-old daughter, and she'll ask questions, and I, I just have to say... I don't know. Let's Google it. <laughs> you know, let's let's look it up. So I appreciate your thoughts on everything and thank you so much for taking the time. All right. Thanks, John. All right. There you go. That is Andy Katz covers college basketball for NCAA and the Big Ten Network. Once again, this podcast brought to you by me and Julio. So I want to do a listener party in May. It's going to go right down to the wire. So here's what I'd, I'd like from you, the listener. Uh, if If you want to see or have a, a party or a listener bash in May. I'm going to record a podcast. Going to have a special guest on. I just can't announce anything yet. Anyway, the point is this. Um, send me a tweet at John Audius Radio, and we'll get uh, those retweets going. Try to get some pub for this event. But just keep in mind, early May, early May, I think we all could meet at me and Julio, have a couple margaritas, record a podcast, have some fun, raise some money. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be really fast turnaround when it does happen. So just... Stay tuned, and I'd love for you to participate. Me and Julio, go check them out. They've got their $4 margaritas all day Tuesday and Thursday, plus Wine Wednesdays. Don't forget about that. Also, thanks to Ian's Pizza, a fine sponsor of this program. We're still working on our next uh, promotion that we can um, let you know about when that is ready to go, and always johncastpodcast.com. I do have a $50 Me and Julio gift card on the podcast. Uh, I'm sorry, on the website. If you want to go check that out, you can go purchase it right now for 30% off. Because me and Julio have partnered with me and me, and we're giving away cool stuff. All right. Thanks to Andy Katz for coming on today's show. Thank you to you, the listener, for listening to today's John Cast podcast. Goodbye.